0: Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Um, I know what you guys are thinking. Who is this dude? Because this dude is not Dustin. Um, I appreciate you noticing. I would like to think I'm a few inches taller than Dustin. Not a knock on his height, but maybe even more if you count the hair. Who knows? Um, but my name is Brandon Shiley. Mike uh, Pat said, I'm the student coordinator at our Harrison Bridge campus. And just a little bit about myself, since y'all probably know literally nothing about me. Um, I'm 21 years old, and I'm about to start my senior year at Anderson University. And I'm so excited. I have one last year to soak up the unlimited meal swipes, the unlimited cafeteria food. And then I finally got to learn how to cook. And I can tell you one thing. This guy right here is not looking forward to learning how to cook. Um, But actually, so going to Anderson... Um, And I move in tomorrow, and I had this realization as I was getting here today that this may be technically my last day of summer ever. Like, I graduate, and so really and truly, this is my last day of summer, and I could not be more excited to spend it here with you guys. So if you don't mind, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we can hop into what God has for us. Um, Dear God, we love you so much, and we are just thankful for today thankful for who you are, and God, I just pray that you would work um, in these next 30 minutes, work through the preaching of your word, um, help me to get out of the way, um, so people could see the message that um, you are worth trusting, God, um, that your peace is worth pursuing, and Lord, that um, you are worth giving our life up, and God, I just pray that that would be the case for us this morning, that we would leave here changed by the truth and the power of your word. We love you, and we just ask this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we have been working through the book of Philippians and this idea of forward, what it means for us to take the mission of Jesus, again, the mission of Jesus being to seek and to save the lost, what it means for us as a church and what it means for us individually to take that and move it forward. And so we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week in Philippians. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. If not, it's going to be on the screen. But Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse number 2. Paul says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me In the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds very specific challenges from Paul that you and I need to accept today. And the first challenge that we see is a challenge to come together. And Paul here, again, he's talking about Yodia and Syntyche. And I'm not going to lie to you, when I first read this passage in preparation to preach it, I got pretty scared because I've never heard of these two people before. Also did not know how to pronounce their names. So I'm going to keep saying it the way I'm saying it, hopefully saying it super confidently, and hopefully you guys just keep believing me, all right? So it's Iodia and Syntyche. And what Paul is saying here is that he is saying, I entreat that these two people come together in the Lord. That word entreat, that implies the emphasis of Paul's matter. This is a serious matter. This is an urgent thing that needs to be taken care of right away. And so what he does, if you look at verse number 3, He's asking this true companion to come in, step into the situation, and help them to agree in the Lord, almost like a middleman. And that immediately made me think of what happened so much to me as I was growing up as a kid. Like, more frequently than I would like to admit, um, me and my little brother Ryan had a lot of beef, a lot of arguments, and my mom always had to come in step in, sit us down, and be the middle man. Now, let me tell you something. I was extremely thankful for that because one thing is for sure. If there was beef going on and my dad got involved, it was too late to talk anything out. Like, it was too late. We missed our chance. So I was very thankful that my mom would sit us down and talk through this. And so what she would do, she would get my side of the story. She'd get Ryan's side of the story. And really, it was nothing too serious. So she would make us sit down and apologize to each other. I'd be like, but mom, why do I have to apologize? She'd be like, uh-uh. I'd be like, but for real? like I didn't." Nope. And I'd be like, fine, like I'm sorry. And I'd go on to this apology and Ryan would go on to this apology. And we'd go about our day because it really wasn't anything too serious. But what my mom had to do as this middle man, this third party, um, she had to continually pursue forgiveness, continually um, pursue unity within our family. Because she knew that as a family, if we were going to continue going forward, that was something that was going to have to be fought for. And to my mom and to my dad, family was worth that. Family was worth fighting for. Family was worth the hard conversations. And in that same way, I think we see Paul, he's saying, hey, the gospel, the gospel going forward, it's worth fighting for. It's worth um, fighting for unity. It's worth coming together, even having the hard conversations conversations. And so if we look at Paul, if we look at all his teachings, I think a common overarching theme is unity within the church. And you and I we we agree with that, right? That like we know our church as a whole, we should believe the same things. That across campuses even, uh, for us specifically, like it's a good thing for us to agree. But Paul here, he's getting down to the nitty-gritty and he's saying that hey, you and I as individuals as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is just as important that we agree on that level too. If we, if you and I, as believers, if we're going to continue pushing the gospel forward, continue bringing it into our workplaces, bringing it across the upstate of South Carolina, um, hopefully reaching unreached people groups in the world, you and I have to agree with each other on the individual basis. And what's crazy to me is that Somehow, way, Iodia and Syntyche, something got, in, something got in between them. Like, these people got a shout-out from Paul from doing ministry well, from doing it alongside him, for doing it for a living. And yet, somehow, some way, they let something of lesser importance, they let something that was not the main thing become more important than the main thing, become more important than the gospel. Again, for us, that may look like methods. For us, that may look like philosophy of ministry. It may look like the tiny relationship disputes we have. And we can go ahead and cross somebody off and say, you know what? I can't work with them anymore. But Paul, he is saying here that the ultimate common ground, which is Jesus and the gospel going forward, has to be what unifies us on an individual level. And again, so if this happened to them, two people who were killing it, you and I need to be aware that this same type of disagreements can happen to us. Again, in a perfect world, we would always keep the main thing, the main thing. We pursue Jesus together, even if there were some bumps in the road. But we know most likely that's not going to happen. That's not realistic. So we need people like the true companion, this third party that Paul mentions, who will constantly fight for unity. And I think Paul... Throughout his letters, he gives us a few examples of what that looks like. I'm just going to read a few verses. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 and 25, he says, and The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And then one more, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-14. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. And that's just a few examples of the, the theme that Paul is trying to drive in our head, that you and I have to come together at all costs. Whether that means, again, pursuing peace, whether it means um, being patient with one another, encouraging one another in the gospel, you and I, on an individual level, have to do our part to come together if we do really, really believe in our heart that the gospel trumps everything, that the gospel is the most important, that the gospel is our ultimate common ground. So that's what we see first. We see this challenge to come together. And he continues, Paul, Paul continues with several different commands. He says, um, he says that let your reasonableness be made known to others. He says rejoice in the Lord. And he's giving us these things so that we can turn our attention from the division back to the mission at hand. He's wanting us to refocus on what is most important. And then we see his second challenge, which is a challenge to trust the Lord. And for what we see, To Paul, what trusting in the Lord means is to hand over our anxieties through prayer and supplication. To Paul, trusting in the Lord means handing over the doubts, handing over our anxieties through prayer. And to me, this reminds me a lot of what I have to do every single year to be a South Carolina football fan. The laughs already indicate where this is going. Every single year... No matter the anxieties, no matter the doubts, no matter that our coach just got fired, no matter that 50 people transferred out because they literally do not want to be there, somehow, someway, I choose to cast all that aside and put my trust in South Carolina football. Now, obviously, if you know anything about South Carolina football, this makes no sense because South Carolina is not worth trusting. And again... Lord forbid if I compromised and became a Clemson fan, I would have the easiest schedule, and I would be in a cupcake conference, and like life would be all well and good. But that, I don't live with that luxury. That's not who I am. Instead, I have to wake up every single morning and fight to believe that this is our year and that we are going to win this game. It's crazy, I know. Somehow I do it. I really am the most optimistic fan you will ever meet. But obviously, you know, that me trusting in the South Carolina Gamecocks is not the same as me trusting in God because I can tell you one thing, that me trusting in South Carolina football leads to everything but peace. Literally more anxiety from trying to do that. But Paul, what he's telling us is that if we put our trust in God, if we put our unwavering trust in him, letting go of our anxieties, letting go of the doubts, and we put that in him, that peace is an outcome of that, the peace of God. And there's three things I want us to see about this peace. The first thing is that peace is not conditional. In verse number six, we see two definites. He says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication." The positive, he says, "Hey, in everything, come to me in prayer. This is the idea of praying without ceasing. That God wants us to genuinely have an ongoing conversation with him to where to him, we take every decision, big or small. There's nothing too small that God doesn't care about. He says he wants everything. Um, Every ounce of uncertainty about the future, God says, hey, give that to me in prayer. I want everything. And to me, that's encouraging. That's, That's the character of God. That's him showing how much he wants a relationship with you. But on the other hand, we see the definite of do not be anxious about anything. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's not, do not be anxious about anything, but, like, if your family situation has gotten this bad, like, I understand. Or do not be anxious about anything unless this circumstance shows up. And then I get it. It's pretty bad. But Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything. And at first glance, Not sure how you feel, but to me, that seems like an impossible command to obey. Like, we wake up every single morning feeling anxious. Like, I don't have to wake up in the morning and choose anxiety. Like, it's already there. It's who I am, it's who I am as a fallen and broken creature in this world. But likewise, peace doesn't just happen to everyone, peace has to be chosen, peace has to be pursued. And the way to pursue this is to have a perspective switch. So peace comes with the proper perspective. And I think Jesus, he touches a lot on this in his Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he addresses anxiety. And what he does with anxiety, instead of making it a determining on the circumstances, instead of making it based off what's going on in your life, Jesus makes anxiety a matter of the heart. He makes anxiety a faith issue. And what I mean by proper perspective, I mean that what Jesus is calling us to do, he's calling us to take our eyes off the tough circumstances that are right in front of us, to take our eyes off the dumpster fire that seems to be surrounding us, and he's calling us to look to something bigger than our circumstances, which is him. And I love how he puts it again in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, look at the lilies of the field. Like they can't provide for themselves, yet I provide for them anyways. He says, look at the birds in the air who can't um, find their own food, who can't make their own food, yet I bring that to them anyways. And I love the question that Jesus asked. He says, how much more of value are you? And he goes on, he says, why do we worry about what we need when Jesus knows more of what we need than I do. Now I'm just going to read a few of these verses in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And what I love most about this passage is probably a verse that you've heard a lot. Seek first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus here on earth. And what God is calling us to, he's calling us to change our focus, to switch our perspective, to this kingdom, to seek this first, to seek out the mission, to seek making Jesus's name known more than anything else. And he says, if you do that, when you do that, then these things will be added to you. These things being peace. I just want to take a quick time out and kind of touch on what Jesus is not saying. Like, Jesus is not trying here to belittle your circumstances. Like, I know there are so many people who have walked in here feeling absolutely broken, um, walked in here feeling like the world, circumstances, their job, financial troubles, their family has just gotten the best of you, and there's nowhere to go. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is not trying to make little of that. He knows that's hard. He knows that's a big deal. He knows that's important. And that's why he's asking you to give it to him. That's why he's asking us to, make, to let our requests be made known to God, because he cares that much about these hard things that you're going through right now. I love this verse in 1 Peter 5, 7. Jesus says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Again, in this prayer, he wants us to take everything to him. He wants us to take everything big or small. And in doing so, hopefully the perspective switch is already taking place, that we're going from this idea of independence and I've got to figure this out on my own and I'm starting to mature, I'm starting to open up my hands and I'm starting to give everything big, small, the big anxieties, the little doubts and I'm starting to hand it over slowly and surely. Because this is the fact of the matter that you and I know that the chaos really doesn't disappear like maybe you're in a great season right now but the truth of the matter is is that a bad season is around the corner that's the world you and i live in and the peace that god is talking about here it says the peace of god that literally means god's peace this peace is not one that just occurs when the circumstances get better because that's temporary that's not what god's worried about here This peace is a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that you and I can't really fathom. And this peace occurs during the conflict. It occurs during the midst of the trial when you and I choose to put our focus on him. And if you're anything like me, you probably pray for peace pretty regularly. Like, it sounds like a good thing. Peace, I mean, it sounds like a day at the beach, it sounds like a Sunday afternoon nap. Don't ask me how long my Sunday afternoon naps are. It's probably unhealthy. They get to like the four or five hour range. Don't hate on me. Kind of kidding, kind of not. Um, but that's what peace reminds us of. is stuff like that. And we want that. We want that for ourselves. But oftentimes I feel like the posture of our heart when we are praying for peace is different than the words that are coming out of our mouth. And let me explain what I mean. I think that oftentimes you and I say, God, please give me peace in this situation. Like, please figure out this job situation. God, give me peace in that. God, please give me peace about my family. And then a month down the line, when things haven't gotten better, you feel like, God, you, you haven't lived up to what you promised. Where's my peace? Really, what you just prayed for was that your circumstances would get better. And that's not peace. Peace. And ultimately, when our prayer is just to remove the bad circumstances, when our prayer is just for life to get better, that's actually cutting God short of what He's trying to do in your life. You see, God is trying to give you something that's bigger than your circumstances, that's wider, that sees further out than your circumstances. So don't sell God short in your prayer life. Man, ask for this peace knowing that it can happen right now, this peace that is full dependence, a peace that completes you even in the deepest parts of your brokenness. And I think for most of us, we need to realize today that that peace doesn't come through a bunch of circumstances. Do this, do this, do this, and boom, here's God's peace. But this peace comes when, again, we nurture it, we pursue a life where we take our eyes off the outside and we put our eyes back On Jesus back on the mission that is at hand so we see that peace comes with the proper perspective but lastly I want us to see that peace is defensive Paul says the peace of God which will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus God is actually giving us peace over the inner being and this is what I this is what I struggle with so often I feel like I can at least have peace externally. I can at least have peace on the outside. I can post enough on social media to where I'm convincing people that God is good in my life, that all is well. In my conversations, I can say the right words enough and convince people that I really am trusting in God. But on the inside, everything is turmoil. On the inside, my emotions are a roller coaster. My emotions make me feel like I don't wanna get out of bed. Um, the thoughts in my head, I just choose based off just the random evil thoughts in my head. We've convinced ourselves that we really can't do anything about what's going on, on the inside. We convince ourselves that hey, these bad emotions, these these horrible thoughts, you and I can't protect against them. That you and I just have to deal with it. We just have to react to it. But the thing is, God is actually trying to give you a peace that guards against that. This word guard here is a military term, like a fort that guards a city, like a soldier who protects a camp. This is the type of peace that God is offering us today, that we don't just have to react to all the stuff that's going on on the inside, that we don't have to let that run our life, but he's actually giving us a peace that guards against these thoughts, that guards against these emotions. And to me, this is the best news that we can receive today, that this command that we've read that says do not be anxious about anything is not some impossible command that only Jesus can live up to. The good news is that Jesus has actually given us an avenue for obedience. Like he's actually made peace in our hearts. He's actually made peace in our mind, something to be had, and he wants you to have it. He's given us victory over our thoughts. He's given us a remedy for the emotions. And so just choose today to give over that anxiety, to cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the outcome of that is always peace. So first we see a challenge to come together. Then we see a challenge to trust the Lord. And lastly, we see a challenge to make it personal. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about this phrase, make it personal, I think about this one friend I have in my friend group. I'm not going to say his name just in case he goes back and watches this, but we all have that one friend, I feel like, who can never read the situation and then always takes a joke way too far. And then my friend's like, oh, now it's personal. And there's an actual brawl that takes place. That's what I think about when I hear about make it personal. But here, what Paul is saying We can read it again in verses 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's ultimately saying two things here. First of all, have your mind consumed by the things of Jesus. Don't, again, don't just let the thoughts run captive, but have your mind meditate on the things that are good and pure and honorable and commendable. He says, when you do that, then part two comes. He says, live it out. Like, walk that talk. Walk the things that are going on in your mind. And I think Paul, he lives this out so well in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says this powerful phrase. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And to me, I'm like, Paul, how can you say that? Like, how can you have the courage to literally say, look at me, and then you'll see what it's like to follow Jesus? And he says that because he's doing this right here. He's having his mind, he's having all of his inner self consumed by Jesus, and then his life is just an outflow of that. And that is what Paul And that's what Jesus is wanting for us today, is to apply these things that we know we should be consumed about. Just to to wrap things up here, um, I think it is time for us to make the mission of the gospel the mission of my life. For too many of us, we sit on the sidelines like a fan. We sit On the sidelines, celebrating what the church is doing because it's doing awesome things. We celebrate the baptisms because that's a good thing. We celebrate the truth of the Bible because we know that's a good thing that should be applied to our life. But you and I never become a follower. You and I never actually get into that and make a real impact. My fear is that too many of us, especially working through Philippians, have been impacted and convicted by the truth of the gospel, that we have seen the obstacles in our life that we need to get rid of. Like we've seen God point out those small sins, those small weights that are keeping us from pursuing Jesus with everything we have, yet you and I haven't haven't taken that next step to actually do that right. It's time to act on truth. If there's one truth I want you to hear today, it's this. Like, because God has made it personal with you, because God has sought after your individual heart, it's time to give your individual heart back to Jesus. I think about the parable of the 100 sheep, and a shepherd, he has 100 sheep, he loses one, but he's still got 99. And you would think, you know what, I'm content, I have 99. But no, the shepherd goes out and searches for the one lost sheep. In that same way, yes, Jesus, he's happy that the church is moving forward. He's happy that the church is doing the right thing, but he wants your heart and he's chasing after it. He wants all of your heart. It really is time for me to live my life in such a way that I really do see Jesus as the prize, see Jesus's presence in my life, as everything, and me do everything to get it, get rid of anything it takes. For me, it's time to make the gospel my message. It's time to make the great commission of going out into the world and reaching lost people. It's time to make that my mission. It's time to remember that when God saved me, he saved me from my individual sin. He saved me from my brokenness, that he brought me from death to life. It's time to stop being a fan. It's time to stop just celebrating from afar, knowing that the church is doing good things, knowing that our staff um, is doing awesome things and pushing forward. It's time to like, actually want to be a part of it. So let's have our minds consumed by this stuff right here. Let's make a commitment today to meditate on the truth that's in here, to have our life revolved around what God is calling us to. Let's accept the challenges, me personally, you personally, accept the challenge to come together under one mission, to come together and to trust the Lord that provides a peace that surpasses all understanding and to really do that myself. Do it all for the sake of the gospel. Lay down your individual life because Jesus did that for you personally. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we can continue in worship. Dear God, I love you so much, and I'm just thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful that you are someone who is worth my trust. And not only are you worth it, but you want it, that you will do anything and everything to have my heart. So God, I pray that today, as we leave this place, that we would pursue that, that we would pursue a trust in you that can give us a peace, that can guard our hearts and minds. God, have us leave here today convicted to make it personal. God, to accept the challenge of laying down my life, taking up my cross, and following you. God, do that in our hearts today. Um, We love you so much. Again, help us to leave here changed by just the truth of your word. We love you. We ask this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.